was powerful. Why don't you look at the person next to you and say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Praise God. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we're going to start today. And we're going to continue in our series of life-giving relationships here. And it's been a fun several weeks diving in to this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to pick up here again. You know, we've been working through it phrase by phrase. And as we know that it's all about Jesus, we believe that Jesus puts us in each other's lives to help us grow and to have life in Jesus. And so that's why we're working through this passage as it's talking about different ways that we can give life to each other. So again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, let's pick up here in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. It's been a great couple of weeks going through these phrases, and today we're going to talk about encourage the timid. But before we talk about that, I did want to say a couple things about this passage. And just as an overarching, as we've been working through it, the first concept is about labels, Okay. The world is all about labeling you, whether it's by the color of your skin or your sex or your, your, the, your political party or whatever it is, the world is all about labeling us. Who here likes to be labeled? I didn't think just about anybody. Okay, person in the back, I don't know why you like to be labeled, but I'm, no one raised their hand. It's okay. I'm kidding. No one raised their hand. We don't like to be labeled because when we get labeled, it never changes. And suddenly the whole world views us through that lens. I think, honestly, when we bring this worldly concept to this verse, it can make us not and tempt us to not want to be honest about where we're really at. Because if I say that I'm weak and ask for help, are you going to label me as weak from now on? Or if I admit that I'm feeling timid right now and I need some encouragement, are you going to label me as timid from now on? And before we continue in this, I wanted to address that. And I want to call us to throw out the worldly view of labels. Because in Christ, the biblical worldview is that there is only one label that matters. And that is, is that you are a son of God or a daughter of God. That is the only one that matters. Amen, church? And as the children of God and his family, knowing that this is a journey with Jesus, and along this journey, when I feel timid for a season, then I feel confident going to my family. So I know I'm not going to be viewed anywhere else besides the Son of God. And when I'm, when, I'm feeling, when I'm weak and I need help, I have no problem going to my family and asking for help because I know I'm only going to be viewed as a Son of God and that this is a season that, someone, that God put other people in my life to help me, not to label me. Amen? Okay, number two. I love that uh, besides being patient with everyone because we all need patience, amen, <laughs> we're actually called to give different things to different people. And that reminds me of Jesus. 
that Jesus was all about meeting people's needs, not meeting what they want. That's important for us to remember. If you're coming here this morning trying to get something that you want, you might not get it. But I promise Jesus will always give you what you need. So in this verse, though, the the disheartened person needs something different than the idle person, who needs something different than the person that is timid. And so how can we live this out? We have to be in each other's lives enough to know where you're at. And if I actually know where you're at, then I can be just like Jesus and give you what you need. This is what we're called to do for all time, but especially here at North River in our family groups. To have the relationships where we know each other deep enough, where we're close enough, that we can tell when someone's disheartened versus when they're idle versus when they're weak, so that we can show up for them and be a life-giving relationship for them. Amen? Okay, so let's go into this idea of encouragement. Whether your translation right there in the middle of verse 14 reads, encourage the disheartened or encourage the timid or the KJV, comfort the feeble-minded. Whatever your translation is, it's this idea of encouragement. Now, the word encourage is in the New Testament 109 times. And I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged about that. That we serve a God of encouragement who wants us to be encouraged. I don't know if I want to follow a God that always wanted me to be be discouraged. But God wants to encourage our souls. It's amazing. You know, Tom talked a couple weeks ago about the Greek word for encourage, which is uh, parakaleo, which means to call alongside, right? You're calling, you're you're uniting with someone to, to unite your hearts, to unite your souls, to call someone alongside. In English, the word encourage means to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. So you can think about the word encourage itself, right? It's in courage. I'm putting courage in you. I'm giving you courage. I'm inspiring you with courage or spirit or hope. So where I want to start, though, for us in this concept of of encouragement, because we know a lot of verses about it, I want to start with this. Encouraged people encourage people. Okay? So you have to have courage inside of you in order to give courage to somebody else. Encouraged people encourage people. And the same is also true. That discouraged people discourage people. Have you noticed that in your life? And I actually wanted to share a story that happened to me recently about this. And so earlier this week, a a brother came up to me and he, he was talking to me about how he felt weird about something I've said recently. And through that conversation, I honestly responded defensively. And I responded pridefully. And at the end of the conversation, this brother voiced how he was discouraged. He was actually humble about a couple things. And then he voiced how he felt attacked by me. And even in that moment, I, my flesh won out. And I couldn't get myself to admit that I was being defensive. And I couldn't get myself to admit that I was being prideful. And so we, did, we, we decided to pray for each other every day until we, would get, until we got reconciled. And then, um, and then so when I left, I got in the car and I started praying. And not five minutes into that prayer did the Spirit convict a brother out of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I was like, what am I doing? And I whipped out my phone. I may or may not have still been driving. And... Just, Bro, I'm so sorry. I was defensive. Thank you for being humble. Just apologizing. Like this sin put it, just convicted me out. 
And from there, I, I drove, and the next person I saw was, um, was Kent, who's actually getting baptized today from the in-town ministry. Fired up for him. And so before we started the study, I said, bro, I got to confess to you something. And I confessed my pride, and I confessed my defensiveness. And Kent, Kent nufateoed me. He admonished me and corrected me. And, and I appreciate, Kent's not even baptized yet, and he's helping me out. I appreciate that, bro. Thank you. And then uh, I called Toya, because calling your wife is always a good thing to do about your sin. I called Tom. And then, you know, yesterday morning we had D group with my uh, in-town family group. I confessed to the brothers, asked for their, you know, their help, their encouragement. And Matthew Olesh actually gave me some really good advice. He asked me, hey, what is it that you were trying to defend? And, and I really appreciated that, and it really helped me. Okay, so why do I bring this up, all right? There's actually several reasons. One, no matter what leadership position you are in, we are all sinners at the foot of the cross. We all need God's grace. Number two, I am so grateful that God has put me amongst life-giving relationships. That when that happened to me, I had a supporting cast of people giving me life and taking me through that. And I want to encourage all of you to develop those relationships. Jesus wants you to have a community around you. Number three, God used that moment to help me dig deeper into my heart and to ex expose some things that were going on in my heart. And I want to encourage you as a church, don't hide from those moments. Don't hide from the moments God's trying to bring something up and expose in you to make like Christ. And number four, for this lesson in particular, the Spirit and the brothers helped me realize that I was responding from a place of discouragement instead of a place of encouragement. Because in my heart, I had been feeling empty. And discouraged people always discourage people. I felt, I've been feeling discouraged about how I'm doing juggling at being a great husband and a great father and juggling that with being a great minister with a bunch of responsibilities. And, I've, and I haven't felt confident. I haven't felt encouraged about that. And so when this brother brought these things up to me and needed encouragement from me, instead of responding from a humble place, from an encouraged soul, I responded defensively from a discouraged soul. Does that make sense? And look, guys, I, I'm not looking for a bunch of text after this. Okay, you can put your phone down. <laughs> because ultimately, I need to be encouraged from God. I need to get encouraged from God. That's the only way I can get filled up. Even though we, okay, we do need to give encouragement to you. Amen. Okay. You can remind, remember Acts 4, where it says when they, they saw the courage of Peter, James, and John, they didn't take note that they had been of people. It said that they, when they saw the courage of Peter, James, and John, they took note that they had been with Jesus. It's Jesus that fills up our souls. If you're not getting filled up with encouragement from God and Jesus this morning, you're not going to have anything to give each other. We have to first get filled up with Jesus and with encouragement from God. So what I'd like to do for, with the rest of our time is I want to give you some practicals of how to encourage each other. But the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to, I'm going to try to encourage you. Because I do believe that if you're filled up with encouragement, then you can use these same practicals to give to each other. Does that make sense? Because encouraged people encourage people. So what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the encouragement of presence, the encouragement of the word, and the encouragement of identity. 
Number one, the encouragement of presence. You know, sometimes the best encouragement is simply your presence, and no words need to be said. Who in here has felt extreme encouragement by someone just being with you and not saying a single thing? So many of us have, especially in intense times of loss. Any, are there any, one more time, raising the hand, any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Any Lord of the Rings fans? A few of you guys, some of my techies, I'm right with you, you know what I'm saying? Whether you know the moment or not, we're going to talk about it, okay? Frodo Baggins, okay? He's at the very end of the movies, right? He's, he's, he's going up Mount Doom to drop the little ring into the volcano, right? And then he, he's at the end of his line. He's, he, he's given up. He's, Sauron's eye is on him, right? He's completely given up. And it's him and Sam on the slopes of Mount Doom, right? And Frodo's completely given up. And Sam says one of those iconic lines that you never forget. Sam says, let us be rid of it then, talking about the ring. Once and for all, come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And he gets Frodo on his back, and one foot at a time, he takes Frodo up the mountain. And what a powerful memory and reminder of how much presence matters. Just being there for somebody, and when you don't know if you can carry your burden on your own, that you have someone that can help carry your burdens for you. This is so huge. And of course, one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture is in Matthew 28. When Jesus says, do you remember? He gives them the Great Commission. And he says, you know, how are you ever going to be able to do this? Well, it's because you're not going to do it alone. Jesus says, I will be with you. You remember what he says? Always. To the very end of the age. Jesus is always with you. When you're in that moment of intense pain, an intense discouragement, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. When you're in that moment, maybe standing up for your convictions to your boss and you don't know how it's going to go, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. Let us be encouraged by God's presence with us. But let us also give our presence to each other. And show up for those moments when it's more, your presence is more important than your words. Just sitting with somebody in the pain. Or maybe in a moment of, of in, when, when intense boldness or courage is needed. To say, not tell them you have to go do it alone, but I'll stand up with you during this persecution. Or I'll stand up with you during this moment of sharing of the gospel. Let us give our presence to each other. Amen? Okay, number two. The encouragement of the word. Romans 10. Romans 10. Uh, verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We know this passage. We love this passage. It's about how faith doesn't come from us, but it comes from this. And I bring this up to say, the, as Christians, the greatest way we can encourage each other is to encourage each other's faith. It's our faith that encourages us, or our hope in Jesus that encourages us. And, but there's a truth out there that because faith comes from this, this is the greatest way you can encourage people. You can motivate people for a little while with your words, but it is God's words that will inspire people for a lifetime. I'm going to say that again. You can motivate people with your words for a little while, but it is God's words that will inspire people for a lifetime. We believe this here at North River. We hold to this at North River. But you got to ask yourself, well, in fellowship, 
How often do I bring up the Word of God? During the week, when I, when I, when I call a brother or sister, or in my, after my family group, or when I'm hanging out at the park, do, am I sharing God's words? Or has it become a little, like, mundane, a little rote, a little, well, we know, you know that anyways, I don't need to bring it up. Have you, have you truly, have you lost the trust in the power of God's word? And the power of just saying a simple scripture, how that can speak faith, speak encouragement into your brother or sister. Let us not slip into relying upon our own words more to encourage each other over God's words. Amen, church? That's encouragement of the word. And you can go to Matthew 3. The last, the last practical I want to give you to encourage you, but then also to encourage each other with, is the encouragement of identity. So Matthew chapter 3, there's this powerful passage here of Jesus' baptism. And if you're in, in town, this is going to sound extremely familiar because I did it on Wednesday, but I loved it so much, I'm doing it again. When you got the mic, you can make those kind of decisions. There you go. Okay. Matthew 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighted on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine, can you imagine what it would feel like to have God say that about you? This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount hasn't even happened yet. It's Matthew 3. You can actually trace every single thing that Jesus ever said and everything that Jesus ever did back to this moment when God set his identity in love. When once for all time, he, was, he, he embraced his identity as a dearly loved son of God. And out of that, out of the overflow of that identity in love, everything else came. I have to go to this scripture constantly in my life because I so naturally get my identity mixed up in the things that I do and not in who I am. It's even like the story I was sharing what happened this week. I was getting my identity mixed up in all kinds of other things besides who I am in Christ. And it sets my identity in being a dearly loved son of God. Where do you get your identity from this morning? Is it from what you do at work? Is it from your position or your title? Is it from your success in that project or your failure in that project? Is it from what you do? Or is it from who you are? You guys following what I'm talking about here? I so naturally do this and get my, my identity from what I do and what my title is and my successes instead of from Jesus. But I know, I know there's some good Bible scholars out there. You know what I'm saying? I can actually see Abram Chambers looking at me in the back. And he's going, bro, I don't know. If I, that's, God said that to Jesus. I don't know if he says it about me, bro. I, Abram, I see you believe. I, I know you believe that. It's, it's like, well, but isn't that isogesis? Like, that's not exegesis. Like, this is God talking to Jesus, not to me. Can I claim that? That's a real question. Let's go to John 17. John 17. And I want to show you a verse that blew my mind last week. Um, we have the Elena School of Missions here at North River. We actually haven't talked about it that much publicly. We're going to do a big presentation and graduation here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but recently, we're tied in with schools of missions from all around the world, and, uh, and we memorized John 17, the end of it, together. And I have read the scripture a number of times. I have preached the scripture a number of times. 
But it wasn't until I memorized it this past week that God writing it on my heart brought something, it brought something to my eyes that I haven't seen before. And I hope it can be just as encouraging to you. Can we claim Matt, the Matthew 3 passage that I'm a dearly loved son of God with whom he's well pleased? Let's look right here in John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. This is Jesus praying at the end of his life. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. Amen, church? Jesus prayed for you. How crazy is that? That all of them may be one. I have given them the glory that you gave me, mind-boggling, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know. Check this out. This is, this is crazy. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is crazy. First of all, that, think about how united Jesus and God are. You know, the three parts of the Trinity. They've been together forever, united in the great dance and yet, he says that he wants us to be united with each other and with him in that same unity. Are you kidding me? What kind of unity is that? And then here, in, in verse 21, we know, I mean 23, we know how much God loved Jesus. We know it. We saw it in Matthew 3. We know they've been together forever. And he has the audacity to say that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as... Just like, the same as, even as you've loved me. God loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. Amen, church? That's incredible. Are you, so, what? What? I don't, I don't know all your junk and all your sin, but I know you don't deserve that kind of love. Because I know I don't deserve that kind of love, and he loves me that way, then yes, if he loves me just like he loved Jesus, then of course I can claim that I'm a dearly loved son of God, as if he's opening up the heavens to say it about me, that he's well pleased with me, because he loves me the same way, the same way that he loves Jesus. Just bask in that. Embrace that. It's an identity of love. Let God's love fill your identity and who you are. And so you can go throughout life with a deep confidence and a deep acceptance that it doesn't matter what happens at work or what happens in the family or what you did on the road or whatever, because you know who you are in Christ. Let that encourage you. And then also find ways to remind each other about your identity. The truth is, guys, is that most junk that we do, most sin that we do, even what I confessed about earlier this week for me, it came from a place of my identity not being in love. And because I had this emptiness inside of me trying to get my identity from other places, I needed to be reminded of my identity in love. If we can encourage each other that we're dearly loved sons and daughters, most everything else will work out. You guys following me? So in closing, I'll say this, church, let us continue to build life-giving relationships in our family groups with each other. 
and where we know each other, we know what each other need, and we're able to give to each other what we need and find a way this week, whether it's through presence or whether it's through the word or whether it's through encouraging someone in their identity to encourage someone this week. Not just in like, hey, cool kicks, bro, or I like your hair, but deep-rooted encouragements, deep-seated, soul-encouraging, life-giving encouragements. Amen, guys? So right now, we're going to transition to a time of communion. And this verse that I'm leaving up on the screen is our communion thoughts, that we can remember this insane, mind-boggling love that God has for us. And we can take time that as we take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and as we take the juice, which represents Jesus' blood, that we can remember how dearly loved we are. And from that place of encouragement, then we can recommit during this time to love and encourage people in the same way. So let us pray now for our communion. Father, we will never understand how dearly you love us. It's insane. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve your love, much less deserve you dying for us out of love. And we know that it's a simple act to take communion, but you call us to do that together in community. So we've been practicing that for thousands of years. And we remember Jesus today and his love for us. And God, I pray that as we remember his love and his encouragement, that we can, pray, that we can commit to letting your encouragement flow through us to others and your love flow through us to others and that we can be encouraged people who encourage people. We love you, God. We remember Jesus right now. In your name we pray. Amen.